The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. Good Friday morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Cameron Fry. I'm a 32-year-old husband to Lissa, father to Caden and Everly, and a youth ministry and content specialist who is grabbing 2018 by the horns and taking the plunge into podcasting. So, if you're hearing this, then you've stumbled upon a first, i.e. the first official His Girl Friday podcast coming straight from our new office to your communicational device and the start of a dream that Liz and I have had since 2014, yet have only been able to recently commit to given past year's narratives. Real quick, before I continue and get too far ahead of myself, I wanna make sure all you listening out there are aware of what His Girl Friday is. In short, we're a resourcing outlet, passionate about finding the balance between the sacred and the secular, and integrating ministry into the marketplace. Our dream, the core of who we are, is to serve, encourage, and inspire the bivocational community through written and spoken words. Marketplace entrepreneurs, liturgical leaders, and those with a foot in both arenas. But really, when you boil us down, we're just two dreamers whose dream is to sharpen yours. Yes, we're going to provide tools for your influence, however, at the end of the day, What we really want to give is value for your destiny. As far as our history goes, our origin can be traced all the way back to an MLK Day conversation in 2014 where out of the blue an idea between my wife and I quickly latched onto our heartstrings concerning how we as writers could offer insight and influence to our bivocational peers. And before you know it, content went into construction the following summer, our promo vid the following fall, and our website and social media the following spring. However, since then, His Girl Friday has mainly been a bi-weekly blog, with the occasional vlog sprinkled in. The lack of variety largely attributable to Les and I working full-time jobs by day, serving as youth pastors by night, doubling our family size in under two years, while finding very little room for much else in between. But now, with Liz and I transitioning out of youth ministry after six years of service, The time has never been better to not only focus on family, but pursue new assignments like this, which brings me to today, which is not only a brand new day, but the start of a brand new season, much anticipated by yours truly. And I believe the best way to kick off a new podcast is in testimony and in prayer. So if you're wanting your fresh content right out of the gate, don't worry, that's coming. For now, let's commit this time in prayer. Lord, we celebrate your greatness today, and we say thank you for the new work you are doing in our lives, that you are doing a new thing, and that 2018 is going to be the year it springs forth. We thank you that you are the God who makes a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, that every word that comes from you is flawless, that you are a shield to those who take refuge in you. Lord, it is your faithfulness that inspires me to launch this podcast. And with a grateful heart, I dedicate not only this particular 
episode to you, but all future episodes and assignments that you've called us to as an audience of one. I commit this time into your hands, Father. Awaken in all of us a call to the holiness of life, our ears to hear, and our hope always vested in you. In every word that is spoken and heard in this podcast, may your power from the Holy Spirit grant to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of you who've called us to your glory and excellence. It is with this posture I commit this time of prayer into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for the next 20, 30 minutes, however long this goes, I want to share some testimony with you all in the spirit of resetting the script, refreshing the season as it stands. Whether you know us or not, I think it's worth mentioning how we got to this point. Plus, I'm a firm believer that our stories and testimonies are meant to be guarded, but rather shared to provide inspiration and encouragement to the body, given we're all running this race of life together. So warning, this testimony may be raw at times. There may be moments I struggle to find the words. After all, sharing your testimony is a very vulnerable experience. Essentially, we're putting our good, bad, and the ugly on the table. But again, I'm one who has nothing to hide, who considers past, present, and future as seasons in which we can give utmost glory to God. That said, let's dive in. There's not much I need to say about the first 18 years of my life. In many ways, they were bordered, straightforward, cookie-cutter years. Full of great high school experiences, especially as they happen, I was constantly on my feet, on the go, and on the move. Now, did I get caught up in some shallow pursuits? Yes. Did I have some immature moments? Of course. Did I care too much about my likability? Uh, yeah. Though, I eventually would distract this in activity, busyness, my college resume, portfolio, etc., During this time, I had great guy relationships, was very involved in music, in church, in youth group. I also knew my social limits. I didn't try to be cool. I didn't date, which is a huge win in hindsight. I invested above and beneath my grade level relationally. So for the first several years of the new century, life was pretty sweet. In the teenage bubbled reality, I had no idea existed. The chaos didn't really start until I was in college, a season when I lost sight of who I was, and as a result withdrew often into isolation. Basically, I was a walking paradox. After a high school career where almost every step was predestined, all of a sudden my desire to be liked and affirmed and accepted was a lot harder to bury. So, I buried myself. Knowing the quantity of activity couldn't be as great as it was in high school. At the same time, college was also a season when girls did something they didn't do in junior high and high school, and that is, take notice of me. Now, I could go into greater detail here, but for now, just know college was basically five years of jumping into what I wasn't ready for and hiding from what I was. Five years of struggling to find the balance between my withdrawing tendencies, and my ambitious yet idolatrous pursuit of acceptance. I had a lot of head knowledge, 
but little in terms of hard application and soul alignment. Still, there were a couple decent stretches. Singing with the Belmont Gospel Choir Kadasha and my Mobile, Alabama move in 2006 to pursue a meteorology career were particularly instrumental, the latter having a profound impact on the trajectory of my life, since at the time I was running away from church, from ministry, from God, due to church split hurts the prior year. And in an ironic yet unsurprising twist, what I was running away from ultimately would find me, and long story short, bridge me into my love for youth ministry. By May of 2007, I felt the Lord telling me to let go of the meteorology career I still wanted to pursue. I remember a couple months earlier, I just felt the Holy Spirit beginning to stir within me the thought and belief that this wasn't the best God had for me. Sure, it made a lot of sense. I had a great passion for the science. All the math, all the physics and the calculus, the dynamic meteorology courses. I definitely had a natural mind and inclination for the field. But at the end of the day, I had to trust the Lord's leading. I didn't want to settle for second best. So I laid it down and returned to Nashville that summer. And it's here where things really started to turn south. Over the next two years, I became a shadow of myself, a captain without a compass numb to the people and things I needed to take direction from. It was the fall of 2007 when I enrolled at my third school in three years. Instead of relying on the Lord's leading, I relied upon what worked in seasons past. Hoping for a spark in the wake of leaving meteorology behind, my pursuit and longing of acceptance reached its all-time high. I was the college version of Jonah. My college campus was the ship, and my behavior begged people to throw me off. It's no surprise, looking back on that year, that I struck out on what I wanted most. Peer acceptance, not nothing more than a bunch of peer voids. So I withdrew once again, chained to my greatest fear, loneliness. I tried to embrace it, would often have quiet time, prayer walks, but really I was just trying to distract myself from the pain. Whatever spiritual discipline I exercised during that time, let's just say had very weak roots. As rough as the 2007-2008 campaign was, 2008-2009 was even rougher. Because during this year, that vain, adamant craving for peer acceptance would manifest in not one, but two bad romances. As alluded to before, there were a few girls who took notice of me in college, and I didn't know what to do about it. Some people have common sense on what to do in those situations, on how to run from those potential relationships that have no future. But this was an area I was weak in that I had no training in, no analogs for, no family testimony on how to survive. And look, I know a lot of us can relate to this. When you encounter someone who catches a flash of your potential, who on the surface gets your heritage. However, I was a sucker for those sultry words, enticing me simply because I hadn't heard them before. Factor in a relationship with the Lord that was fragile at the time. The stage was set for not only relational compromise, but physical compromise. For the next few years, I allowed my relationships to define the boundary of what was sexually acceptable, mixing in some critical deception into my interpretation of scripture. As long as my love interests were happy, I was happy. I essentially reduced everything about me into their satisfaction, their contentment. So zooming out mid-2007 to late 2011 were my dark ages. 
Sure, there were some minor stretches of calm embedded in this period, but for the most part, I was a chicken with its head cut off, a lost, double-minded prodigal who tried to barter with God by desperately trying to make sense of his surroundings. My main argument centered on the belief that, God, you led me here. This must be the reason. I justify my love interests, my dating habits, through this deception. Eventually, I'd wake out of the comatose, but it took a while. Because not only was I blind, but I was defiant. It wasn't until October 2011 when I finally started to get my life in order. A surreal season coming out of the fog and head on into my depravity. I mean, you talk about feeling ashamed, yet humbled and hopeful at the same time. I don't think I'll ever feel the same way again in my life as I did that fall. Coming face to face with years of deception and wrong turns, yet knowing God's best for me in many ways was restored and still in play. Recapping the last six years, starting with 2012, a milestone, two years in one, get back up again type of year. The writing was on the wall early, as my first memory of that year was having a meeting with my future wife over coffee at Starbucks within the first week of January. A few months earlier, she had felt the need to plug into youth ministry. At the time, I was in a transition from co-leading in a supportive role to taking over the youth reins completely. So I needed some help, especially on the female side. As one could imagine, it's difficult for a 25-year-old youth pastor to relate to a female preteen half his age. So we started working together, and it was around May when sparks started to fly for the first time. There had been signs of subconscious attraction on and off throughout the spring, but May, June was when our relationship really started to take off. And as you can imagine, I was pretty gun-shy, beating around the roses for a few weeks. I'd figured there's no way I'm going to be in a relationship for the next couple of years after what I'd been through. I'd finally gone to that point where I was content in my singleness. When I started feeling attracted to Lissa, I was actually terrified. I was like, oh no, this can't be happening. We had a great rhythm as leaders in Legacy, and I was afraid that I would screw something up if our relationship became anything more than friends. But after processing and dialoguing with God and entering a period of fasting, it soon became clear that Lissa was the one. A revelation we needed before we even started courting. Which only makes sense because we were shepherding the youth. If our relationship didn't work out, it could have damaging consequences. Granted, there were a lot of other amazing things going on behind the scenes. For one thing, Legacy Youth found its group identity... And as we approached the fall of 2012, we suddenly found ourselves with a foundation we could build on. Despite familiar settings, I felt like a new man inside. I felt charged and rejuvenated. And before you know it, Liz and I were engaged November 2012, married in April 13. And as our relationship grew, so did the youth. As my maturity and confidence grew, so did the youth. What started as a group of seven junior hires had become a budding up-and-coming group of 30-40. As for 2013 and 14, the main storylines were beginning our marriage journey, learning what being a husband was all about, learning to navigate work and ministry as a married couple, and persevering through some challenging job transitions. Flash forward to spring 2014, around the one-year anniversary mark, and suddenly this intense depression starts to sink in. 
out of nowhere, I felt overcome by belated shame, guilt, embarrassment. Not that I didn't feel those things back in the fall of 2011. It's just that the current of life had picked up so dramatically in the months following after cutting off all my soul ties and relationships that didn't need to be in my life. During 2012 and 2013, I couldn't help but live in the present and dream of the future. But starting in 2014, just like college, once the pace started to settle, the temptation of past thinking began to creep in. Furthermore, I started feeling disconnected, that there was no way people who knew me during that four-year stretch could see me the right way. The overlap in timeline, the fact my home church's first four years of existence were the same years I'd hit rock bottom. It's like all this junk that had been forced into the closet had suddenly burst open all over me. Yes, things in marriage and in ministry were going really well. But behind the scenes, as my wife could tell you, I was a mess, just in a different way. I had so many reasons to be happy and content, but I just couldn't see it. In retrospect, there were a lot of things that found themselves under the carpet that I just didn't deal with all the way. Sometimes you feel like you could just outrun them when you're running on adrenaline, that kind of adrenaline when you're so excited about just changing and being a better version of yourself. It's like you get distracted getting your hands on it to the point that healing and freedom in full doesn't happen even when you think it does. During 2015 and 2016, youth ministry hit its peak. I was job hunting post-masters, learning to be a dad, had one three-month stretch where Liz and I moved twice. All those things combined to again distract me from what needed to be dealt with. It's not until last year, around this time, early 2017, when I finally realized I needed help. Following a youth leadership retreat, I had some bad pizza and got food poisoning. It took half a day for the symptoms to show up. But long story short, there I was in my church sanctuary, this huge weight and knot in my stomach that had been there predominantly for three years. I thought I was just having a normal Sunday when in fact I had food poisoning. There's much I could say about my depression over that three-year period, but I think that brief story speaks for itself. My inner wirings had gotten so crossed. When I had food poisoning, I thought I was just having a normal day at church. And I remember hearing that still small voice sweetly encouraging me to get help. So I prayed and God led me to Restoring the Foundations, an integrated approach to healing ministry. And for a few months, I entered into a season of release, taking inventory of soul-spirit hurts, generational strongholds, deceptions, and word curses. During my time with RTF, I realized my depression was tied to exalting my need for reconciliation above the foundation of grace. I wanted a forgiveness that confirmed God's, a two-lane street of absolution that I could feel and sense, kind of to serve as a happy ending to whatever drama I had caused. However, it wasn't until I realized the connection between the happy endings that I craved and this is where my treasure is that I began to find freedom and healing in full together. I'm sure some of you out there know what it's like to really want to make something right and whatever unit of measurement of time that has passed doesn't phase you. Personally, I think, unlike One Republic, it's never too late to apologize. So yes, I had let the past go 
But I also had to let go of my want for a happy ending. The vain thought of imagining myself being able to prove my new inner man. So in many ways, last year was the culmination of a decade-long odyssey. Am I satisfied where I am now? No, but I am content. And for those who've known me for a long time, that is a huge win. As one who has often struggled to love himself and see himself as God sees him, RTF was that push I needed to get over the top. The identity crisis, no longer a part of my inner fabric. Not to suggest I'm never tempted to think the same depressing thoughts as before. It's just that it's way easier to sense them coming and to squash them before they can penetrate and permeate. And for the record, very few people know about this. I kind of felt like because I was in ministry serving under my dad that I couldn't be so open about this kind of thing that people just don't want to hear it from certain people like myself. There are many reasons I kept quiet about this over the years. But there comes a point when your testimony reaches a soft landing where it can be delivered to people to inspire them, to encourage them, and so that they can relate to you in a different way. I'm bold. I'm not hesitant to share my warts and my mess-ups, assuming I have the authorization from God like I do now. So that wraps up this version of my testimony. Again, this was a broad brush approach. I didn't really dive into one year so specifically. There will be times later on to dig into the depths of this, depending on the topic we're discussing. For now, I just say thank you for listening, for taking the time to lend an ear. And hey, we made it under 20 minutes, so I overshot the estimate there. (laughs) Cool. Well, I know I said earlier we are a resourcing outlet, but we're also partners in faith. So if any of you have a prayer request, if any of you want to chime in on this in some way, we are here for you and would love to speak with you, talk with you, pray with you, chat with you, whatever is best for you. As always, we are rooting you on. And as I always say, the best is yet to come. Have a great rest of the week, and I'll catch you on the fry. Peace.